0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of WFS, the Will Ford Show. After a two-week absence, summer sports are really in full flow right now. The NBA Finals, we're in the midst of that with the Phoenix Suns up 2-1 to on the Milwaukee Bucks. We had what I believe is the most prestigious event in professional sports. Wimbledon, professional tennis, conclude over the weekend as well. And then I've got one thing that I'm going to talk about with the NFL hard knocks. We have a new team in line to, I guess, be the star of the show. Uh, That is a little foreshadowing as well for uh, the name, the the team that I'm going to drop uh, here Uh, and just a little bit on the show to close it out. But let's start off with the NBA finals because the Milwaukee Bucks just won game three last night to pull within two games to one in this best of seven series. and. Giannis Antetokounmpo has had back-to-back 40-point games in these these finals and he's had a tremendous playoffs. But I do truly believe that the Phoenix Suns are the more talented team and they're the better team and I have them winning this series in 6 games and you haven't heard from me in a minute on the podcast so I didn't, you know, drop a podcast prediction but I did tweet before the series started, before the final started. Suns in six games. Uh, now we were kind of unsure about Giannis Antetokounmpo's health status at the time, but I said even with a healthy Giannis, I've got the Phoenix Suns in six games, and it's honestly kind of miraculous how Giannis has he's been playing so well, given that it looked like he you know, shattered his leg, um, in the at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, his leg completely bent the other way. It looked like he dislocated his knee and just did all kinds of disgusting stuff to it. And he's playing like Superman right now. And that's kind of what he needs to do because right now, yes, they got the win by twenty points against the Suns yesterday, but I'm gonna talk about why everything kinda of lined up perfectly for them to win by that much Um, but let's take a look at the numbers you know through games one and two Uh, if you look at game one the Suns won oh we've got the highlights playing in the background in my in my ears we don't like to hear that Um, there we go but 118 to 105 was the score in game one Uh, and Giannis had only 20 points in that game Chris Middleton did have 29 which is big for him but you know, that's not really enough, you know, for Giannis in particular in a game like this game one of the finals, where, you know, Chris Paul comes out and has 32. Devin Booker has 27, even though he only shoots eight of 21 from the floor and one of eight from three. DeAndre Ayton has 22 points and 19 rebounds. Uh, that's huge. DeAndre Ayton, right now, I think is a better player than Carl Anthony Towns. And I thought that when he was drafted. And. I mean, those three—it's those three—I think—are better than the three of Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. And even with Booker shooting very poorly in Game One, like I said, one of eight from three, he went ten of ten from the line though, which does help. But they still won by double digits. Uh, and in Game Two, the Suns won again, one eighteen to one oh eight, and. Giannis had 42 points. It's a much better performance from him, and uh, obviously that's kind of that's kind of a superhuman performance from from him. But that's what they needed. Uh, Drew Holiday had a respectable 17, but Chris Middleton was lagging behind. Shot five of 16 from the floor, one of six from three. Only had 11 points. He was minus 15 when he was on the floor. Uh, his plus minus so uh, not very good from Middleton, who I think is just a solid number two. Uh, he he is an all star, but you know he's not a superstar, and I think a lot of people thought he was going to turn into that, but he's really just only a solid two. Uh, and if you look at the sun side of things, you know they had some big performances, and Devin Booker played a lot better, thirty one points, seven of twelve from three compared to just the one of eight in game one. Chris Paul had another twenty three points, eight assists. You had uh, Bridges with 27 points and I mean if you if you have players other than Chris Paul Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton you know playing extremely well like Mikael Bridges or uh you know like a Jay Crowder who had 11 points then you're going to be in some real deep trouble if you're Milwaukee uh, but Bridges 8 of 15 from the floor 3 of 9 from 3 8 of 8 from the line did also have 7 rebounds 27 total points. I mean, when you combine that with Paul's 23, Booker's 31, you know, that really helps. Uh, DeAndre Ayton only had 10 points in game two, but did have 11 rebounds. Uh, That's the one thing that, you know, if Ayton's off scoring the basketball, he is going to be a presence inside, corralling some rebounds. That's game two. And then you look at game three, and I think everything kind of lined up perfectly for Milwaukee. They won 120 to 100 last night. And Giannis... 41 points Chris Middleton had 18 Drew Holiday had 21 Brooke Lopez also had 11 Bobby Portis off the bench with 11 points those are the performances you needed to have and you know Middleton shot the ball a little bit better 3 of 7 from 3 6 of 14 from the floor Holiday 21 points 9 assists he had five threes. that's kind of the perfect performance for Milwaukee and for the Suns Chris Paul, 19 points, 9 assists, but had 4 turnovers. He had a plus-minus of minus 13. Jay Crowder did have 18 points, but Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton combined for 28 points. 10 points for Booker, shot very poorly again, 3 of 14 from the floor, 1 of 7 from 3. Ayton did have 18 points and 9 rebounds. He was respectable, but Chris Paul and Devin Booker were really off and you know didn't shoot it too, too well, especially in Devin Booker's case. And yes, the Suns lost by 20, but I just don't think that that is going to happen again for Phoenix because Devin Booker is too good of a player to have back-to-back games where he shoots the ball very poorly. Chris Paul, it's very rare where you see him be as inefficient as he was, uh, even though he did do a decent job scoring the basketball shooting percentage-wise. I just feel like the combination of Paul Booker and Ayton, and then if you have Bridges or Crowder do really well in a game to support them, it makes them really tough to beat. It it really does. Giannis essentially has to drop forty every game for the Bucks to have a chance, uh, and. Some, and that may not even be enough because uh, you're going to need Chris Middleton to have at least 20 points. Drew Holiday is going to be in the 20 point range. Your top three guys have got to account for about 80 points worth of offense. You know, if Giannis is scoring 40 and the other two are combining for 40, that's 80 points. Whereas, you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they can both go for about 25. Maybe maybe thirty a piece, and they can do that relatively easily. Uh, and you know, Aiton doesn't necessarily need to score a whole lot, but if he can control the glass like he has been throughout the series, then it, it just makes it tougher because Aiton's going to create extra possessions for Phoenix. And you know, I think we'll call Devin Booker. Uh, actually, I'm going to call Chris Paul the one for Phoenix as in the number one option he's the one that kind of facilitates the offense and then you have Giannis for Milwaukee Devin Booker is a much better second option than Chris Middleton and Ayton is a better option than Drew Holiday I just I I think if those three play their best and Middleton Giannis and Drew Holiday play their best both sides at their best I still think Phoenix wins Uh, I think those three players are better. I know I've said that multiple times, but star power wins uh, and consistency wins. And it's not going to be very often where you see Chris Paul be inefficient uh, and Devin Booker is not. He's too good of a shooter to not shoot the ball well uh, in back-to-back games. He's going to be back on track in the next game. Uh, It is interesting, though. There have been, I've heard conspiracy theories about uh, like when teams go to Milwaukee's place, They always just shoot the ball so poorly and it doesn't even have necessarily anything to do with the defense that Milwaukee's playing. It's a lot of, a lot of it's just open threes and they just clank them Uh, and they say it's something to do with the arena. It's haunted. Like I've, I've heard these theories on barstool sports. Obviously I'm not a believer in any of that stuff, but you know, it is interesting, kind of a happy coincidence, I guess, (laughs) but game four tomorrow tomorrow. In Milwaukee, it's a chance for the Bucs to even up the series. I did think this was going to go to six games. And I think the Bucs are good enough to take away you know, another game from these Suns. I don't think they can win a game on the road against the Suns, though, because the Suns crowd is too much. So I think their best chance to win another game you know, is tomorrow. You Even up the series. And from there, it could get really interesting. But if the Suns win tomorrow, you can chalk it up because you're going to be up 3-1, then you're going to go back to Phoenix, and that's going to the series is going to be over in 5. That's essentially what this comes down to. I've got the Suns in 6. Now, if Chris Paul, you know, the only thing that's really lacking on his resume is a championship, and I don't think any of us really... Like, if you said at the beginning of this year that Chris Paul had a chance to win a a championship he was going to be in the nba finals up to one this year i think a lot of people 99 percent of people would have disagreed and said you're crazy you're telling me that chris paul is going to be in the finals over lebron james a lot of people would have said that i would have said that at the beginning of the year even though i was high on the suns i don't know if you remember when me and alec did our our top 10 nba power rankings off the dome i did have the suns a little low i did have them i think around nine with the addition of chris paul but I kind of I kind of sniffed it out. I kind of had a feeling that the Suns were going to be good. I didn't think they were going to be as good as all this, obviously. You know, just given CP3's advanced age, you know, at 34, 35, uh, and just how young the Suns are as a unit, but, you know, here we are. And if Chris Paul does close the deal and win his first and probably only NBA championship, where does he rank all-time among point guards? uh and i i don't i don't know if much is going to change in terms of my rankings if he wins a championship but i do think he is in the top 5 point guards of all time right now uh and so maybe he boosts up a spot or two if he wins a championship we'll see but currently my top 5 point guard rankings all time i have magic johnson at number 1 i don't think anyone would disagree with that Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, is at number two. The all time assist leader in NBA history, and John Stockton, I have at number three. He does not have a championship with the Utah Jazz. I do think that, you know, John Stockton might be one of the best Robins of all time to Carl to Malone. Malone, the second leading scorer in NBA history. And unfortunately, they just ran into Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, you know, a handful of times and couldn't win. So, Stockton at number three. Isaiah Thomas with two championships, and you know he also sits uh, at number nine in NBA history in assists. Uh, I have him at number four, and then Chris Paul would be at number five, and he's currently fifth all time in assists. Uh, and so, and he's five thousand assists behind John Stockton. So, that's where I have him right now. If he wins a championship. I would be willing to put him uh, maybe above Isaiah Thomas and potentially above John Stockton. You know, I just, we'll see. Uh, obviously, I don't want to jinx anything. It's a it's a good discussion for, you know, a week from now when the NBA Finals are over and we do have an NBA champion. I do not want to jinx anything. I am rooting for the Suns, uh, although they beat my Lakers in round one. But, you know, that's that's a discussion for another day, I suppose. But moving on from the NBA Finals, I want to talk about a sport that you know I absolutely love. I don't talk very talk about it very much on the show. Usually, just you know when when the majors are going down. Uh, but I didn't talk about the French Open much this year. But some professional tennis, Wimbledon, the most prestigious event ever, just wrapped up over the weekend. Novak Djokovic won his sixth Wimbledon title and twentieth major overall, tying Roger Federer. And Rafael Nadal with 20 majors. And then also Ashley Barty uh, beat, I believe it's Karolina Pliskova. Her first name's Karolina, last name Pliskova, in the women's final. And that's her first Wimbledon. And she's got a couple major titles now. And, you know, on the women's side, I'll start off with the women's side. There is so much parody in women's tennis, it is not even funny. Uh, it's really, really hard to predict. Who's going to be in the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals of a women's Grand Slam. know, obviously, Naomi Osaka. its She seems to be the next one that's going to be very much in the thick of things for the next 10 years. Probably not going to be the next Serena where she wins 20-plus majors. But could be a very competitive and all-time great type of player. Serena Williams, I do think, is done. Uh, not She's probably not retiring after the injury she sustained in the first round of Wimbledon, which was very unfortunate, but I, I don't think she's going to win another major. She's had, you know, a handful of chances over the last three or four years. She lost two Wimbledon finals. She's lost two U.S. Open finals. She's had a chance for four more majors and she already sits at, what, 23? She could have had 27 major titles and be well ahead of Margaret Court for the most all-time. I mean, she's had the chances. She lost to Angelique Kerber in a Wimbledon final, Simona Halep the following year, and she also lost in the U.S. Open to uh, Bianca Andreescu and Naomi Osaka. You had chances, and she played poorly in all four of those matches. And now you got to give credit to where credit is due, especially in the Wimbledon finals to Halep and Kerber because they move incredibly well on the slower court surfaces. And just that movement, they get to every single ball. And so anything that Serena was putting in play, it was getting returned. And that makes it tough because it's like, what what kind of shot do I have to come up with next to put it away? And it doesn't even matter. Uh, But... A lot of errors. The serve wasn't working in a lot of those matches. Those were her best chances. And after she lost to Kerber in that Wimbledon final, I I said that that was the best shot she was ever going to have at a major again. And obviously she made it to three more major finals. Couldn't close the deal on any of them. And I, I just think that she is done. She's at 39 years old now. Uh, Or maybe she might even be 40. I don't know. But Venus Williams is 41. And obviously Venus hasn't been too, too competitive over the last couple years. Did make it to the third round in Wimbledon this year. But she is playing, you know, just for the fun of it. uh, Because she still enjoys the game. And I love to see her play. Serena, though, I don't think is going to do that. I think when she realizes that she cannot win a major again which it might be hard for her to admit, but when she finally realizes that she's not going to be able to do that, I think she will hang it up. And we might see, we might see Venus honestly play for another, you know, two or three years just because she loves the game so much. She doesn't really get hurt. Very nimble, shifty player who can really get to a lot of balls still at her age. I mean, she plays well, um, but she just sometimes doesn't have the endurance as some of these younger players. And that's just age, you know? Uh, But but, yeah, Serena, I think, is is done. Ashley Barty, the number one player in the world, played like it in that final. Well-deserved, but like the parody in women's tennis is crazy because we just... It seems like we have a new person win a major pretty much every single time a tournament comes around. And with the men's side, it's always the big three. It's always Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer in that conversation. They're usually always in the quarterfinal, semifinal, final of matches. And uh, this year, Novak Djokovic took the crown again. Third year in a row, I believe, or not third year in a row, but third Wimbledon title in a row. 2018, 2019, we didn't have a Wimbledon championship in 2020 due to COVID. And then now this year against Matteo Barrettini in four sets. For his sixth Wimbledon, now too shy of Roger Federer, and you know, if he keeps the streak going, Roger's sh- streak, greatest streak of Wimbledon titles was five. It makes the conversation now very interesting interesting with three players at twenty majors. Who is the greatest player of all time? Rafa has 20 majors, 13 of them are French Open titles on clay. You have Roger, who only has one French open. He has eight Wimbledons, and then the other 11 are, you know, split between the U.S. Open and the Australian Open. He has six Australians, five U.S. Opens. And then Novak, six Wimbledons. I believe he has two French, and then, you know, another 12 between the U.S. Open and Australian Open. I believe he has eight Australian Opens. So you can get a sense of how well-rounded some of these players are. And I, I do think that these are the three greatest players of all time. Roger, Rafa, Roger, Rafa and Novak. Those are the three greatest players ever, and they, their eras have kind of overlapped with one another, which is very unique and interesting, but they've all played at the same time as well, and they've played against each other at different parts of their primes, primes extended, early primes, like just unbelievable era in tennis. Roger, I think, is the, gra- the the best grass court player of all time. Wimbledon center court, is, it's Roger's house. Of course, Paris is Rafa's house on clay. And then I think the best hard court player would be Novak. But Novak is also a great grass, play- uh, grass court player as well. Uh, I do think that Novak is going to end up with the most Grand Slam championships out of the three of them. Rafa... Is 35 years old. But he's had some nagging injuries over the years. He didn't play in this year's Wimbledon. To kind of preserve his career. And. You know the only one that I. He's almost a lock. Almost a lock to win every year. Is the French Open. And I'm sure he he's going to win at least one more of those. Before his career is done. So he'll probably end up with. You know 22 majors. Novak is, is 34. And. Let's just assume he plays for another four more years. And if he's playing like he is right now, I mean, he's going to win, I would say, north of... He's probably going to win 24, 25, maybe even 26 majors. Roger Federer, I think, is probably plateaued at 20. He should have 21 after the 2019 Wimbledon final. He had two championship points on his racket and just couldn't close the deal against Novak. Made it to the corner finals this year. At Wimbledon, after having to pull out of the French Open, struggled at Halle to open up grass court season. Made it all the way to the quarterfinals and lost to uh, to Hercotch. I believe it's Humberto, not Humberto, but something Hercotch. And lost in straight sets. Should have won the second set. He was up 4-1, had a break. Also had multiple chances in the breaker to close it out, lost that set. And then I think he was just demoralized and kind of rolled over and died in the third and got bageled six love. Uh, And I just I don't imagine that's the last time we're going to see Roger Federer at Wimbledon. I think Roger has got one more full season left in him after this year. Obviously, coming back from the two knee surgeries, he was out for 18 months. I think he just is lacking matches right now. I think he needs to just get into match shape because right now, you know, I think the fitness is there. I think he knows what he has to do. I think his timing is just off. Cuz he's he had a lot of errors in that quarterfinal match. And plus, I mean, let's let's relax for a minute and not and we're so reactionary to things nowadays. Everyone thinks Roger is done after getting Straight setted for the first time in 19 years at Wimbledon. And I mean, you know, it happens to the best of us, but he was in the quarterfinals at age 39, which means he was one of the best eight remaining players in the tournament. If he's one of the best eight remaining players in the tournament, then he's certainly one of the 10 best players remaining in the world, which means he is still going to compete for major titles. That doesn't mean he's going to win another one. But he's going to be in the conversation. He's going to be in the quarterfinals, semifinals, possibly even in a final again. It could be. Now, if Roger had gotten eliminated in the first or second round, which he could have gotten eliminated in the first round this year if it weren't for Adrian Mannarino going out with an injury, you know, it'd be a different discussion. It'd be like, well, maybe Roger is done. But he was in the quarterfinals, and I guarantee you, if he played her catch again today, he would win. I think Roger was caught on a bad day. The momentum was totally against him. It was the worst day, kind of bad conditions too with the wind. Not, I'm not gonna blame that on him losing. Obviously, he's he's had plenty of experience. He's played through several different kinds of conditions and won and lost a million matches. But I think we just caught Roger on a bad day. I think if he plays her catch again, he wins. I think he would beat Matteo Berrettini in the semifinal we probably should have had another Roger Novak final for the second consecutive tournament. And, you know, we didn't, I think Roger is good enough to be back in that place though. Obviously he's going to take a little bit of time off, make sure the body's right. I just think he needs more matches. Roger is not retiring this year. I think he's going to go at least one more full season after this year. We'll see him at Wimbledon one more time. Plus his family wasn't even there. You know, Murka wasn't there. His parents weren't there. His kids weren't there. And he didn't. And I would like to think that he would want to give the fans an opportunity to properly send him off a proper farewell. I mean, it's Roger Federer. It's the most likable guy in tennis history. A lot of people call him the greatest of all time. I would probably still have him as the greatest of all time right now. And Novak may end up with more championships than Roger. Obviously, you know we'll see what happens three or four years down the line when Roger is retired, Rafa's maybe retired, and Novak finishes his career with whatever he's at. I am confident that Novak's going to finish with more majors than Roger, but I don't know if I would put Novak as the greatest player of all time. I don't think Rafa's the greatest player of all time. I I, I would probably put him third behind Novak and Roger. Roger would be number one for me right now, and. And a couple years down the line, it might be Novak. We'll see. But they are clearly the three greatest players, you know, right now and ever that we will ever see. We'll never see another generation of men's tennis quite like this one, where they just utterly dominate each draw that they're in. And they don't, obviously, they're not intentionally suffocating young talent, but like young talent can't break through because these guys, doesn't matter how old they get. They're constantly right there. It's it's just so hard to beat down that door. But now Novak Djokovic will have an opportunity to complete the not only the calendar slam but the calendar golden slam too. The golden slam includes the Olympics. He'll have a chance to win a gold medal and the U.S. Open this year, uh, and then you know the career Grand Slam of winning all four majors in a year. Uh, he'll have a a chance to have. or not in a year but like for your career you've won each major at least twice he will have a chance to do that again or no he's done it this year by winning the french open sorry confusion there he's he's won the career grand slam twice now with the french open win earlier in the year he'll have a chance at a calendar grand slam with all four majors but also a calendar golden slam with the olympics and finally just a quick note on the NFL Hard Knocks going to be coming out, you know, during the offseason and kind of following I guess the chaos that is, you know, an NFL locker room, you know, all the drama, the fights, the good, the bad, the ugly. Well, we're going to be watching the stars on this one. The Dallas Cowboys are going to be on Hard Knocks this year. Uh, I'm not too thrilled, don't much care for that. Uh, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, I I really think it's an unnecessary distraction, especially given how last year went for the Cowboys. You had Dak out with injury. A lot of people question the Mike McCarthy hire. Zeke is a little banged up. The defense is terrible. Mike Nolan, bad defensive coordinator. Of course, Jerry Jones is always talking. To be on hard knocks following a year like that, obviously it makes sense and it's going to put money in Jerry's pocket, but... I mean, come on, man. It's an unnecessary distraction. We don't need this. We really don't need this. What we need is just disciplined, tunnel vision, just looking forward, and just trying to uh, put together a season that I can be proud of and Dallas Cowboy fans can be proud of. We've only had two playoff wins in you know, 26 years or whatever it is, I'd like to see another playoff win in the near future. Because uh, with us being hard no- on hard knocks, <laughs> I don't love it. It's a distraction that's probably just going to hang over our head for the entire season and uh, just make us play poorly. Uh, the only thing that is really working for us is the fact that we haven't had a repeat winner in the NFC East since 2003, and so Washington won the NFC East this year. Assuming that that holds true, Washington will not win it this year, which means we have a chance. Um, so, But with hard knocks hanging over my head, or our head, I don't love it. But that'll do it for episode, what episode number is this? Episode 137 of WFS The Will Ford Show. Uh, So thanks so much for tuning in. Had a a two week break back on it here on a Monday. uh, And I'm going to have a guest on the show tomorrow for an episode that will drop on Wednesday. I'm going to talk a lot about a lot of different stuff. Great friend of mine who I went to school with at Muskingum. He just graduated this year. Not going to name drop him yet. Obviously, you're going to have to wait and see who I bring on. But make sure you catch that on Wednesday. Thanks so much for tuning into this Monday edition of the Will Ford Show. Make sure you rate and review the show on iTunes, like, and comment on SoundCloud. You can also follow me on there as well. Also on Spotify, if that's where you you get your podcast, that's where you get your music, check me out on Spotify there too. Uh, Also on TikTok, The Will Ford Show, Instagram, Will Ford Show, Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Follow me on all the social media and I'll see you in the next episode. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show.